Hey there. Welcome to episode 27 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Rainus Lotsis, NBA historian and host of the Handle podcast. Rainus and I talk about three things, the recent inductions to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, our choices for five NBA people that we'd like to see in the hall, and then we finish by asking Torian Prince about his high volume of double-clutch layups. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group. Rates, integrity, service. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Are here with Rainus Lotsis. Welcome, Rainus. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm 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 excited to be on. I'm I'm doing well. I'm feeling guilty for keeping you up so late. <laughs> well, well, that's the life of a European who is following the NBA, I guess. So there's nothing you can do about that. Rainus is joining us from Latvia, where it's 1 a.m. and he's still uh. Uh, braving it out for us and uh, joining the podcast. Rainus is the host of the Handle podcast, where I, I mean, my, my explanation may not do it justice, but you've interviewed a number of retired NBA players on a, a whole host of interesting topics. How would you ex- describe your podcast? Yeah, that, that's that's a perfect explanation. Uh, <laughs> I, I I pride myself in interviewing former uh, former players. You know, there's there's certainly not many people who would tune in to, to listen to me ramble on. But uh, but when you can get guys like um, I don't know, uh, recent guys are like Warriors great Thomas Sherry, uh, the first uh, German in the NBA Uwe Blob. I, I I think that I might provide some the listeners with something interesting. So yeah, excellent. And uh, you can follow Rainus on Twitter. His handle is at Lamar Matic, uh, which is kind of spelled out how it sounds. L-A-M-A-R-A-T-I-C. Is that right? Or two? Lamar Matic. So, uh, wait, I left off an M. L-A-M-A-R-M-A-T-I-C, correct? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I, I, li- listeners should just think of uh, Lamar Odom and uh, NASA's album Illmatic, and uh, they'll, they'll have it correctly. All right, there you go. <laughs> All right, so uh, Rainus is on with us uh, eventually to discuss the recent uh, Hall of Fame uh, selection. But first, uh, I want to start with, you know, our three quick questions segment. And so I would start with this one. Uh, if you could literally trade shoes with any NBA player, who would you exchange footwear with? Um, when I when I approach this question, I, I sort of think of uh, the type of player that it would be the most fun to be. To be um, on the NBA court, and uh, since I'm I'm six three, I'm I'm European. I'm not uh, terribly athletic. Uh, it has always appealed to me to be a to be a big man. Um, anytime I've played uh, my my player mode on NBA 2Ks, though though it's been a while, I I always want to block shots and and dunk. So <laughs> I have to go with Hakeem. You know, uh, very versatile. Can can move move. Uh, all around the court, can post up, can dunk, can dominate a game. I would, I would love to be Hakeem. It, I think it would be a thrill, especially if, if I would have one of his versatile games and you know flirt with a quadruple double or anything. All right, excellent. Um, if you had to come up with your own personal version of Dion Waiters Island, where you know you picked one player and you just have this unfailing belief that eventually they're going to have. A lot more success in the NBA than anybody expected from them. Who, who would that be for you? I I give some benefit of uh, the doubt to Bismarck Biyombo and the uh, Biyombo Archipelago. I can't even pronounce it. Um, <laughs> he has a he has a definitely a contract that might not be looking that good if if he continues a. Uh, the bath he has started on, and and Orlando, his uh, his rebound percentage is down. I believe his his block percentage is definitely his worst uh, that, that he's had in, in the NBA. But um, he has shown, uh, the, especially in that playoff run with Toronto, that there's there's a there's a good rim protector and a, and a 20 25 minute center in there, and definitely can rim run. And uh, I believe that a, that a better situation than than 
logjam that's in Orlando that he he still could uh, be a productive center the the one we've seen in in the playoffs. I hear you. I I kind of feel the same way uh, about Dwight Howard a little bit that you know for the guys like that who are the rim runners and the big rebounders and the you know the big big defenders those guys they seem to have more value in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. Oh yeah, I think uh, like con- context and and the players around them they 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 just mean so much to them because um, you need space, uh, especially if you're biz and your hands are maybe not the best. You need space and uh, you need shooters around you, and uh, it it has to be the right moment if you're not as skilled. The Dwight's a Dwight's a bit more skilled, so he's doing. Uh, quite okay in, in Atlanta but uh you know, Biombo needs it needs it all to be exactly like he he would want to 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 for him to thrive okay all right out of all the podcasts and all the episodes of podcasts what's your favorite episode ever um th- this one's an old one I, I'm, I'm not sure people will remember it but there was this one time and I've I've gone back a couple of times even if it's not completely irrelevant anymore but there was this one time when uh, Bill Walton came on on Bill Simmons's podcast. It might have been like 2009, 2010. I, I oh wow, can't quite recall. And he would just ramble on and provide Bill with the best stories ever. It's 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 one of one of the best hours that I've ever listened to, and I've I've gone back since, as I said, a couple of times. It's it's just Bill Walton at his best, talking about the Grateful Dead and and his days in Portland. Uh, I suppose that he pr- produced something similar recently on Wash's podcast, but uh, that featured some sadder stuff as well uh, regarding his health. But yeah, I, I can never have enough of Bill Walton, so so that's my answer. Outstanding. All right, well, let's uh, let's get to the, the recent uh, news uh, for the Hall of Fame selections for the Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, I guess starting off with the big NBA selection what do you think of the decision to put tracy mcgrady in the hall of fame you know i i think it's an unquestionable one um th- there was a moment when you could have made an argument that t-mac is, is the best two guard in the league and around that range when he had that 32 point per game season though though he was ca- carrying uh, some bad orlando teams and kobe was probably the better player because of his uh, defense and uh, but that would have wouldn't have been a crazy conversation you know you 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 might as well call t-mac a a small forward you know wings can be interchangeable and say that he was was the best free in the league and i I just believe that guys with with such peaks uh, should make it i agree yeah he played in the league for so long and to to make seven straight all-star games and you know play for as many seasons as he did it i think he did enough for the league uh to make it i think that was a good choice uh, what did you think of the selection to put in Jerry Krause? Well, uh, again, um, I have to mention uh, Walsh's podcast and the vertical because it's it's so sad to look back at now. Um, I, I think Krause was on like like three or two months ago, and uh, the, the both of, both of them pretty much laid, laid the groundwork for for the idea that Krause should be in, and he probably isn't in due to some bitter relationships and. Uh, Guess what happens? The man passes away, and uh, he gets inducted. Uh, both of them sort of are proved right, and and it's a shame that he d- didn't get the joy from from this that he would definitely have before before leaving us. I agree. What did you think of uh, some of the exclusions? Players who were on the nominated list that didn't get inducted this time around. Well. Chris Webber is is probably I, I guess the the one which is the, which is the most interesting case. Um, he he probably should make it uh, sometime, but you, you sort of feel like that, um, uh, that it it's a result of him wasting his athletic peak. Um, the the Kings Kings had their first real playoff run when when they made the second round in, in two thousand one, and Webber was already twenty eight and and had just four worthless Washington years behind him, and uh, who knows that. Two and a half years later, he he tears his meniscus and is never the same. So so we never kind of know what would have happened if he had been on a better team for a longer time. And we all we all kind of suffer from it not working out with him and, and Nelly and, and Golden State. But I, but I feel like the 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 1990s, the 
the Jordan era doesn't suffer from lack of coverage and that he'll get in there eventually. Yeah, I I lived in Washington, D.C. during the Weber years. And I have to say that, you know, if you ask somebody from Washington whether Chris Weber is a Hall of Famer and you ask somebody from Sacramento or Michigan, you know, whether Chris Weber is a Hall of Famer, you'll probably get a very different response. <laughs> because that team, I mean, you know, just Weber's whole approach to the NBA, he was so talented. But at the same time, he was a very frustrating player to watch as a, as a young NBA player. And, you know, once he got to Sacramento and it all started to click, uh, it just looked completely different for him. It looked like the game just, you know, they, they found a style much better suited to him. And he seemed to grasp what he needed to do. And he put it all together. Yeah, I'm I'm all for uh, players having fun at, at the respecting the game sort of can uh, can uh can get get that the argument that you should do so and not not have fun that that kind of gets on my nerves at times when you just can't express I, I guess it's a bigger bigger deal in the nfl and the major league baseball but uh you know there there were times and and were games when it sort of looked like chris weber was having more fun in washington when he was in street clothes and, and doing what not on the sidelines than when he actually plays. So what did you think of uh, Tim Hardaway? Yeah, t- Tim's another one. Uh, uh, he he, he cer- It's certainly not as much as a fault of his own uh, uh, other than um, in comparison to, to Weber's case, but uh, I, I think he should get in because uh, uh, like I said, uh, time could pass and obviously snubs could develop also from from the 90s era but i feel like the 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 jordan era the 1990s those guys don't suffer from lack of coverage and there will always be more guys from from past decades from the 70s and and then the 60s who are more deserving yet yet overlooked and uh i I wouldn't worry too much about hardaway especially especially (laughs) if his uh buddy uh, mitch richmond made it he he hardaway has sort of a um, resume that is almost up to par uh, to, to Richmond, so uh, I think he should be good in, in future years. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's funny that that Mitch Richmond is sort of my test case too. And it's like, you know, who who's the guy that if you're gonna sort of pick the first guy at the bottom of the list and say, you know, who is this <laughs> player better than that we can compare him to and make that favorable comparison? It's like, yeah, compare him to Mitch Richmond, and he might look pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and th- that's that's no dis- dis- disrespect to no, Richmond, obviously. He was but... a great player, but you know, there's yeah, there's I... always going to be you know sort of a cutoff where you know there's going to be a few players where they were on the borderline, they did get in, and they sort of get compared to an awful lot. Yeah, and I I think those those Sacramento teams kind of uh, rob him of a, of a status of a, that he was a better two guard because you you literally have almost no memories of, of Richmond in meaningful moments other than sure. one series against Seattle I think and and the fact that he was on the Lakers when when they won a title but obviously he wasn't on the on the bench so if you watch the national TV and it's it's not like we have the way we have league pass nowadays if you watch national TV you probably didn't even see Mitch even 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 if you follow the NBA back then okay all right well uh, is it okay if we switch topics uh let's see what do you think about the fact that the nba doesn't have a separate hall of fame is is that good we just have to kind of live with it or you do you you know just overall what do you think of that situation you know it 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 seems like i'm not certain whether they they really want to to put in the work to have their own because um the the hall of fame isn't isn't really this this big event it's sort of in in september when uh, people aren't really ready to pay attention to to the nba that's like the the, the worst month and I, I suppose that might be the the thinking behind that because that they would honor veterans when when the current season isn't ongoing but uh yeah that's that's a that's a bit puzzling that the hall of fame ceremony doesn't get that much of of you know recognition and uh, you sort of sort of do question whether the nba cares enough and, and maybe that's that's an 
that's an excellent reason for for them to have their own hall of fame but yeah it it doesn't bother me that much uh, other than the fact that I, I feel sorry for certain guys who should should make the hall um yeah I, i'm i i'm just not that invested in it i i guess the, the actual the actual hall of fame okay are there conflicts that really stand out from the situation being what it is that that stand out in your mind well with me being Euro- european um i guess i i sort of uh am more i don't know i i a more understanding of of the European guys that do make it. So yeah, like this year, Nikos Galis got in. He's he's a great Greek player, and uh, I I would understand that uh, you know pe- people who are the 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 Hall of Fame in, in Springfield is uh, is is definitely more so uh, for for the American audience and for the uh, professional and college leagues in America. So. I do understand that there can be sort of some conflict about whether whether these European players players should get in when some other greats don't. But uh, yeah, that that sort of depends on on your own on your own standpoint, I guess. Okay. Well, I think this will be the fun part of our podcast. I wanted to kind of go through a list and pick out the five people who we thought most deserved inclusion in the hall of fame people who are eligible right now to be in the hall of fame but are not and i thought yeah we this could... is definitely the fun part yeah <laughs> i thought we could do it in reverse order and kind of build up some of the suspense so i thought for each of us and we could take turns we could count down from sort of number five to number one in terms of you know most deserving how much we thought they deserved to be in yeah, let's let's get at it. All right, so let's have your number five then. Well, since since I'm a huge fan of the ABA, I had to go with a pick that isn't all that obvious um, for for my number five pick. Um, it's it's Daryl Carrier, um, great player on Phillips's uh, team in the '60s and when back when they had AAU basketball and it was more lucrative than the options in the NBA and uh, just a revolutionary shooter. He made the ABA All-Star team in all of his first few years in the league, just, just as his prime ended, because he worked and played for Phillips uh, before that. And uh, him and Louis Dampier would achieve stats like making more frees than the team that is second in the league and then frees made as a team, uh, not to mention the fact that he led the league in three-point percentage despite taking such a quantity of them. I, I, I believe he did so twice. Okay. So yeah, his approach to the game and willingness to launch from deep was, was surprising, uh, even to the ABS coaches back then. And that that sort of goes back to George McGinnis making it uh, this year. I, I feel like uh, he was the last totally egregious forgotten ABA star that wasn't in the hall, but there still are a, a couple of guys who should make it. And for me, that's that's Daryl Carrier. Uh, him and Dampier really are like. A, Steph and Stephen Clay of the ABA in the, in the early 70s. Okay. So what do you th- – let me make sure that I have this understanding right. Did the Hall of Fame get rid of their ABA committee and now it's just sort of all under the heading of Legends Committee? That's a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not, not sure about the answer because uh, there has been an ABA selection, I think, every year for, for the last couple of ones. Uh, Zelmo Beatty made it last year, and I think he wasn't. He was on. He might have. Uh, now that you say that, he might have been the, the last one picked by the ABA committee because, and he was also one who, who like Jerry Krause, uh, made made the hall after he had unfortunately passed away. But yeah, that that's uh, that's a good question. I I'm afraid I don't know the answer. I just, okay. Some yeah. someone should do some googling. I think yeah. I want my memory isn't too Chris. It just kind of came into my mind when you were talking about it. But I think that the until like a very recent year, maybe a year ago, two years ago, they had a separate committee for ABA nominations. And now I think they've, you know, they had enough players in and it was only a nine year span that they got rid of the committee. But like you said, you know, carrier is, is a big omission. Yeah. My, my quick Googling does seem to suggest that it has been dissolved. So yeah, I, I'm afraid that, uh, Daryl Carrier actually might might not get in because of that because yeah that committee did, did some great work and and getting some of the ABA guys in and right. also a, a a quick fact just that just I want to throw in is that sure. uh, 
just like Hal Greer, Hal Greer, Daryl Carrier shot his uh, free throws by by jumping. So Greer is usually synonymous with such a style, but uh, Daryl Carrier is, a, is another one who did it. But unfortunately, I, we don't have any film of Carrier on on the internet, at least. I'm all for that. I I think some players get a better rhythm doing that. Yeah, and uh, Whiteside's kind of doing it as well. Excellent. All right. And, you know, it's not like it's hopeless for him either because McGinnis got in this year. And so, you know, it's not like they're just ignoring the AB. I just don't think they have a separate committee. Yeah. And, well, McGinnis is kind of of weird when you see his resume. I'm very happy to see him make it, but uh, definitely a, a belated one. And his record is getting broken. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, and and uh, Westbrook should pass him uh, also any day now. So both Harden and Westbrook will be in front of him in turnovers. It's amazing. Yeah, he had the three highest turnover seasons of all time in the ABA, and now you know if you compare NBA to ABA, Harden and Westbrook are going to pass him this year. The first time anybody's had more turnovers in a season than, than McGinnis had. Okay, well... Yeah, the, oh, yeah you should go ahead with yours. We, we spent too much time on, on, on our first one, I guess. <laughs> we'll get going more quickly after this. <laughs> okay, I cheated on my number five. My number five is going to be Bill Fitch as a coach. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. I just think, you know, he had such a, a long and uh, prosperous career in the NBA uh, he had some really dreadful teams in Cleveland and with the Clippers where he just didn't have the personnel. Uh, you know, the teams got better when he was there, but at the same time, you know, they just weren't the most talented teams in the league. And, you know, you could still do a good job as a coach and not necessarily win the championship, which he did do when he had a good Boston team. And he also took a Houston team to the finals. So, you know, 944 wins. Uh, an NBA championship, an NBA finals. I, I think Bill Fitch deserves to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame as a coach. Yes, yeah, see, see, I thought I did something very smart by taking an ABA player and suggesting him, but I totally forgot about the coaches. And yeah, Bill, Bill Fitch is a good one. And uh, to, to his credit, you mentioned those Clippers teams. I, I pulled up that 96-97 Clippers team with Fitch. He did make the playoffs. And uh, the four top guys in, in minutes played are Loy Watt, Rodney Rogers, Malik Seeley, and Bo Outlaw. And he made the playoffs with that bunch. So <laughs> that's definitely also that's definitely also a good footnote in his career in a way. That might be better than winning an NBA championship. <laughs> yeah. And not just those four players, but those four players and presumably, you know, the overarching uh Donald Sterling uh school of mismanagement. Oh yeah, definitely. I I bet, I bet I bet five of them were already pissed off that oh. they wouldn't get a contract extension or a contract that summer. I want to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs too. They will even give you a quote where they'll credit you money towards the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them that ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgages, Rates, Integrity, Service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. All right. So uh, who's number four on your list? Um, Bobby Jones. Um, uh, he's someone who's not reflected high in, in uh, the, the Hall of Fame prob- probability percentage that Basketball Reference has, where they sort of have used past examples and, and guess what a Hall of Famer should be. Uh, he only has a probability of... 10.8 percent i i suppose that all defense doesn't correlate strongly to what they've found in previously selected players but bobby jones has 11 all defensive teams and and five all-star selections on on some very good philadelphia teams which one of them obviously won the title in 83 so uh i i, I like him as a choice obviously a, a bit of a 
snob move on my part to, to select someone like him who, whose stats might not jump out, but a, a very important player during that era and probably suffers a bit from the fact that, uh, you know, that, that wasn't the best time for the NBA. I completely agree. In fact, I, I'm just going to pick Bobby Jones as my number four and move on. But that's going to be a theme of my choices is that, you know, it's a double whammy to some of these players. Um, and, you know, not just Jones, but maybe a couple more that I have on my list. The double whammy being one, you know, being a defensive player doesn't necessarily lend itself to helping you get into the Hall of Fame. And that's compounded for some of the players from you know, let's say the 1970s era, like Jones, because there's not a lot of video of them. So if you, if all you have is, you know, just sort of the all defense awards and you don't really have the numbers and you don't have the video, it gets really hard for them to kind of put together a case that says this player deserves to be in the hall. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be interesting to, you know, perhaps create a list of, of all the subpar 20 point scorers who had some 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 success in relatively long careers and then uh choose some all all time best defenders who didn't have the stats and and to see that in context and and see the guys that did make it because of because they just were gifted scorers and and the guys who were defensive studs and didn't make it um we've had the Dikembe and and Rodman in recent years but those like are the 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 best standouts and and as far as defense is concerned well someone like Bobby Jones is, is definitely someone who probably will will be forgotten unless unless he makes it in, yeah, in the near future it seems different with the video right yeah definitely all and right I, so oh, I, oh sorry no no go ahead no, no, nothing that important I was yeah. just going to ask you a quick yes or no question uh, down the line does Ben Wallace get in that's a good one <laughs> I guess I guess it, it sort of in a weird way it sort of depends on, on Chauncey because um, someone has to make it from that team right so I, I don't even know whether the fact that Chauncey makes it does it legitimize their their team and their title or, or does it uh, help Wallace if, if uh, Chauncey doesn't make it so there sort of needs to be this, this one standout guy that they do select oof That'll be interesting, because in a way, Billups can take it away from him. Because you know that that it will be the the selection of of the best player on on that Detroit team, and you, you sort of could see how Wallace would then get uh, overlooked. But he's a good one. I, I if if the Kembe makes it, I, in a way, I guess Ben Wallace is worthy as well of it as well. If if you would look at their numbers at least. Okay. So who did you have at number three? So. My number three, three is um, Marcus Johnson. Um, the the theme will be similar similar to my number two uh, selection, but uh, he's sort of the guy who, where a freak neck injury ended his career. Plus, he was an All Star the, the season before that happened at, at the age of thirty. So you sort of do think that he would uh, put in some more good seasons, and you want to give him some benefit of the doubt because. Until that point, he was a five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA member. Fin- finished his career with a 20-point-per-game uh, average, obviously thanks to the fact that he never really had uh, uh, to put in any seasons after his prime, so his uh, averages never sort of slid down. But yeah, one of the best small forwards, also a contemporary of Jones, who played in that era, and uh, a member of some very good Milwaukee teams, plus... Uh, did, did some neat things at UCLA as well. I, I think uh, Marcus is at Marcus is a good one. He 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 should deserve it. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> I think he was like right around my number six. Like when I was trying to pare down my list, it's like where where do you find a spot for him? Yeah. There's I, there's definitely too many of them. Yeah. My uh, number three is Lou Hudson. Uh, it, you know, for him, I think it is a lot based on numbers. Um, you know, he was a scorer. He's not one of the guys, you know, who was from the 70s and, and should get credit for necessarily, you know, being a great defender. But he was a great scorer. And, you know, I think to his credit, you know, he was a great scorer with Maravich. Um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, when some when another great scorer joins their team, they take a big step back. And for Hudson, it was really just the opposite. When Maravich got to the team, he got better. Um 
you know, he could work without the ball while Maravich worked with it. And so, you know, he was really uh, a great scorer. He was an efficient scorer. He was a good scorer, you know, without having to dominate the ball. And so I think for all of those things, uh, you know, six all-star games, uh, he was runner-up for rookie of the year, he's had seven seasons where he's above 20 points a game. I think his resume, uh, you know, should put him in the Hall of Fame. In terms of, like, career scoring average, he's, like, number 50, 50, 52, something like that. And so, you know, when you look at that list, most of the guys in that range, you know, if, uh, you know, it's it's hit or miss, but a lot of them are in the Hall of Fame, and I, and I think Hudson probably deserves that honor too. Yeah, and here's someone who actually, uh, in comparison to Marcus, who actually had those couple of last years where you're sort of at the tail end of your career and he's he's still over 20 points per game for his career despite despite that so that's that's really a mark of a very good scorer yeah and he shot 49 percent from the field and you know for that era of uh you know he played in the late 60s and, and through the 70s uh that that's a pretty high mark for a guard yeah definitely though you would compare it with Marovic's uh field goal percentage and you would you would see a difference <laughs> okay who's your number two i wonder if we're going to have more overlap or not i think get get into the suspenseful part yeah I, I imagine that we could um my number two is uh sydney moncrief um uh, sort of as i alluded to a, a similar case to marcus johnson uh they're also their teammates and uh, when you look at someone like ralph sampson for example um of course, Samson's college career put him over to the top, but uh, and and he unfortunately didn't get to have the NBA career he he wanted to. And Moncrief doesn't really differ. He had five All-Star games, five All NBA teams, five All Defensive teams, and and was the the first guard to win two Defensive Player of the Year awards. Who obviously Peyton would uh, later follow with one, and now Kawhi is just uh, a terror. Uh, that's leashed upon the whole league but yeah but that's that's still one heck of an achievement and uh all of that stopped uh when it was ground to a halt because of injuries he had some chronic knee issues and uh, there's there's nothing that uh, doesn't suggest uh, that he wouldn't have kept it uh, unless he had uh, when he if he had had better help so i i feel like moncrief proved enough during the time he was healthy um uh, michael jordan has even credited him as a as a spectacular defender you know that uh, Jordan doesn't uh, mince around the boards and could also score 20 uh, dish out a few assists Mon- Moncrief was really good and uh, a- another one uh, similar one where the, where the theme is that uh, injuries kind of uh, interrupted his career yeah speaking of Michael Jordan and, and, and a pick you already made Michael Jordan had a Marcus Johnson poster in his dorm room is that the, the the poster where he has the the weird uh, umbrella? Or, that is. Uh, is <laughs> I had never noticed that actually. Yeah, that's Marcus a, Johnson's on the poster behind him. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's great. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on Moncrief, and you know one of the funny things about Moncrief is that uh, I I don't know if it's funny, but I think it, it's one of the things that kind of works against him a little bit. One is. Actually, two things that worked against him. One, I think, is the market. I think it kind of, it's kind of like the same thing for Hudson. You know, Hudson played in Atlanta in the '70s, and you know, uh, that that's when you know Atlanta, especially, wasn't a big NBA town at that point. You know, it was just just starting to become an NBA city because the the team had just moved there with Hudson on it. So, you know, I think that's part of it just market size you know the bucks in the 80s were a very successful team but they didn't necessarily get a whole ton of media coverage yeah and I, I think i wonder if it's a coincidence i'm, I'm sorry for interrupting no. but if it's a coincidence as, as you're saying I, i'm listening just box left and right maybe maybe that's that's the that's the whole point yeah yeah and so you know for marcus johnson and sydney moncrief in milwaukee you know how much media coverage did they get did they get enough you know, have, do they get forgotten because of that? And then the other thing for Moncrief, I think, is that if you look at the history of the NBA in the 1980s, you know, everybody just lumps the 80s together. But I think if you can really kind of separate it, maybe somewhere around 1984, because prior to 1984, there wasn't that much of the NBA on TV. And then after 84, 85, 
then there really started to be a lot of NBA games on TV. And so when you get these video compilations of, of Sidney Moncrief, you see a lot of Moncrief after the knee injury. Yeah. Whereas if you go and watch a game from 1982 and 1983 when he was winning, you know, Defensive Player of the Year awards, um, the video of him in those days, he was just all over the place before the knee injury. I mean, he was, you know, he's so quick and, you know, such an amazing jumper and defender. You know, he was like 6'5", but you couldn't even take a shot around him near the rim because he would just get up in the air and block it. I mean, he was so agile, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and I'm not even so sure about about the date of that first surgery, but I'm certain that, it, yeah, it, it, it occurred either between those All-Star selections or before them, but it, it kind of took like two or three big knee injuries to take him finally down because then there's the point of in his career where he's basically basically uh, uh i don't know one of the worst starters in the league and he when he didn't really 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 had nothing left but he he managed to put together a, a fine nba career and that was despite those those chronic knee pains absolutely okay my number two uh is bobby dandridge Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's he's but my number two. But I just realized that I, I completely forgot about Dandridge while making up my list. He, <laughs> he might have made my top five now that I think about it. But, you know, again with Dandridge, you know, he I think it hits on a lot of the themes that we've talked about. You know, it's kind of that perfect storm of, okay, 70s basketball. You know, the sport wasn't that big then. Um he was a defense. He was a really good scorer, but he was more like a third option than a first option as a scorer. He was like a defense first kind of player. He was your shut down small forward. So, you know, he was the guy that that would often be guarding the best scorers. And he had a lot of success. You know, he won a championship with uh, Oscar Robertson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Milwaukee. Um, and then he won another one with the Washington Bullets. And so, you know, I think you put that whole resume package together. I think that's one where he should almost definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and especially because the the Hall seems to award guys with titles and perhaps the guys that uh, generally get the team success, the, those are the ones that are overlooked. But yeah, Dandridge's uh, success with teams lasted the whole era of the 70s but basically those are two different eras he won with Robertson and then he won with uh, you know playing against Dennis Johnson Th those are guards who whose career spanned over so much of time and uh, yeah the, the the one game I I have to mention which is a sort of a Dandridge classic is the is the time he had scored 37 against the Gervin's 42 and uh, you know he, he was a defensive specialist and obviously he didn't stop Gervin in this particular game seven but he made it up with 37 points of his own as as bullets uh, came back from one three in the series to, to beat the Spurs and, and made the final. So Dandridge was definitely good for a, for a game like that and could could contribute on as a scorer as well. Yeah, you know, these we're lucky enough that that uh, you know guys like Moncrief and and Dandridge are still alive. And you, I'd hate to, I don't know, I want to see them get in while we still have them. <laughs> Yeah, it, it but it it might seem funny and it, it definitely is. But uh, there are, are too many too many guys just just like again getting back to Kraus who who yeah. sort of get in like a year after their death and you you sort of feel like the the committee felt like uh, they 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 made a mistake and oops well at least we'll we'll correct it now. But uh, that joy might might mean a lot to him when he he's in his seventies and he feels like people don't remember his career as well as they should. All right, we're we're at the end of our list. Who's your number one? Um, my number one is Jack Sigma, um, probably the player whose case I support the most often in, in such conversations. So uh, he had a ten-year prime of, of seventeen points, eleven rebounds, uh, three assists, a block, and, and a steal. And during that time, he played for seven playoff teams, uh, four conference semis, two conference finals, uh, won that one title in '79, uh, made seven All-Star teams. Has very good longevity as as he retired as a starter at the age of 35. Um, 
unique center who adapted the three-point shot towards the end of his career. I, I mean, I, I think he has it all. And uh, here's a comparison that I, that I thought of before the conversation. If, if you take Robert Parrish's best 10-season stretch, you'll get about the exact same averages, uh, except Parrish is a bit closer towards two blocks, and uh, Sigma has three assists to Parrish's second two. So they're basically the same, and, and they have the same number of All-Star games during that stretch. Obviously, Boston, their titles play a part, but with Sigma having one to his name as well, I just feel like him being like the third or fourth top center in the 80s, plus having that longevity, it, it makes him a, a definite Hall of Famer. Yeah, I feel bad now that your number one wasn't on my list. <laughs> but that's the thing. You know, we, you know, it's like if you take somebody like Jack Sigma, it's like if you were to take Jack Sigma, you know, from his prime and put him in a time machine and drop him in the NBA in the year 2017, how good would he be? I mean, he's like the prototype for the stretch big. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I, I think him and uh, him and Lambeer, you you could almost compare to. Uh, obviously, Lambeer a bit better on defense. You could compare to Marcus All. They they have all the all the same physical tools or lack thereof. Uh, players with great IQ can can make the outside shot. They would they they could definitely play. Yeah, I mean, he was. It's like he was an innovator, and the thing is, like, he wasn't on any bad teams. Like those, all the Seattle teams that he was on all the Milwaukee teams, at least the large majority of them, they were teams that were winning 45, 50, 55 games. I mean, those were all really competitive teams. And, you know, the things we know now about spacing and things like that, you know, he probably contributed a large part to that by drawing the opposing bigs away from the basket. Yeah, and and do do you realize that we, I think we just listed four bucks in a row? <laughs> it's <laughs> Sigma Dandridge, Moncrief, and and then Marcus Johnson. Yeah, and you know to to get to my number one, my number one was Sidney Moncrief. Put Sidney Moncrief in the Hall of Fame already. The man deserves it. Two-time Defensive Player of the Year. He is just, you know, the the knee injuries robbed him of so much. But if you if you look at you know what he did in college, he, he took Arkansas to the Final Four, and what he was doing in those first few years with the Bucks, he was just a force of nature and just such a great basketball player. And I know he didn't have a long peak, but he just deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and he he inspired Don Nelson to have a, a good defensive team. That's that's like the only team in Don Nelson's resume that was. Uh, I think it, he, they were top three in, in defensive rating the year they lost to Boston in the finals. That's how good Sidney Moncrief was on defense. He made Nelson completely switch his beliefs in, in basketball. And for, for once, he had a, a great defensive team that wasn't all that uh, fast. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at, at the 80s Celtics, you know, the one team that was able to really get to the Celtics, like really get to them, was the 83 bucks. I mean, they swept them. Right. No one's ever done that. <laughs> that. That was the only time Larry Bird got swept. You know, he lost some series in six and some series in seven. But he got swept by the books, Bucks in 83. And there were other things that went into that guard play and things like that. But my goodness, I mean, you know, to sweep Bird in a playoff series, uh, that that's a feat that, that only – you know, Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson and the 83 Bucks can claim. Yeah, that, that's like a team of, of all the best underrated guys from that era. There's Junior Bridgman as well. Um, oh, Phil, Phil, oh yeah, I'm confusing him with his son. Paul Pressey as well. I'm, I'm not so sure whether, whether no, he wasn't around. Mickey Johnson wasn't around then. But yeah, just a, just a spectacular all-around team. Yeah. And to qualify it, uh, I said that that was the only time Bird got swept. It was the only time he got swept in a seven-game series. There might be, there might have been some of those funky shorter series in the '90s where something else happened. But you know, Bird at his peak, and in a seven-game series, that was the only time they got swept. Just yeah, to, I think just to be clear. Yeah, Ewing's Knicks might have swept them like three to three to three to zero oh in, in the late '80s. Maybe so. Yeah. All right. Um, 
Anything else you want to add to, to, to that list before we move on? Um, I, I thought of a fun fact that uh, Bill Fitch was actually on the other end of, of that sweep. And I, I, I think that uh, <laughs> s- some of those... <laughs> Some of the troubles that Boston had that year was was in part due to the fact that they were just a bit tired from Bill Fitch, if I remember correctly. That's, I hope I'm not. <laughs> nope, that is 100% correct. Yeah, you know, in fact, that's the funny thing. Like now, Bird still holds to that philosophy. Like that 83 collapse. Like when he let um, when he let uh, Frank Vogel go this summer. I mean, he was saying oh, yeah. the exact same things in 2017 that Red Auerbach was saying in 1983 when they let Fitch go. It was like almost verbatim. It's like you could hear Bird saying the things that Auerbach said about you know tuning the coach out and needing a new voice and things like that. It was like the exact. It was like a carbon copy. Yeah, and I, I think I, I I should have the place where I read that was in this. Uh, autobiography drive so yeah okay. he's he certainly he certainly kept that that words of those words of wisdom from our back for a long time all right so one of the things that i i thought we could tie into here that i thought was an interesting coincidence with with tracy mcgrady getting into the hall of fame was that you know earlier this season i asked you know the two young hawks rookies you know who was their favorite player growing up you know getting to them to reflect on you know some of the players from their childhood and they both included Tracy as one of their favorite players and so uh you know I've been watching Tori and Prince Prince mate play more and more uh over the last month or so and as he's played more and more you start to get used to some of the the trends you know he's a very aggressive defender um he's very good at driving to the rim sometimes uh, you know, it's off the dribble, but a lot of times it's off the catch. He has a very aggressive style of catching the ball. When when he gets thrown a pass on the perimeter, it's almost like he gets a running start at the ball before he goes to the rim, and that gives him a head start. But then the other trend I've noticed about Torian Prince is that when he goes to finish at the rim, he really likes to take uh, double clutch attempts, you know, where he'll pump the ball in the air, bring it back down, and go back up to get around the defender. And so I asked him about that about a week ago, and here's what he said. You seems like you take a lot of double-clutch layups. Is that kind of just a thing that you've done for a long time? Or Yeah, but I, I don't think that's a good habit to have, especially in the NBA where you have guys that are you know, athletic enough to come and block your shot from the backside. But, I mean, it works. It works here and there, but it's not a consistent thing, so I need to probably um, get a little better at going straight up and finishing easier. What do you think of the idea of, uh, you know, of taking a lot of double clutch shots? Uh, he's saying that maybe it's not the greatest thing. Is uh, is it something that, that can be used positively as a tool in certain situations? Yeah, I, I think it definitely can. It's I guess in a way, in a way it's weird coming from from a from a rookie who's who's a role player because you sort of associate the double pump layups with with guys that you know attack defenses regularly and have to avoid multiple defenders and it's definitely a, a superstar move so you you wouldn't exactly expect for for a for a lesser guy to do it with more regularity but i, I guess whatever works for you is is, uh, is suitable but uh, i i think when we're talking about someone like some Torian Prince, he definitely would need to work on cer- certain other things uh, as far as as far as finishing at in the paint goes. So you certainly hope that he picks up a cer- certain other moves, whether it's whether it's floaters or you know all all kinds of ways to to finish your footwork before before throwing it up. But um, other other than that, um, I, I guess whatever's comfortable for him uh, should 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 work good. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because it seems like the double clutch used to be a more prevalent shot, and I and I think for the reasons that he mentions, you know, it's getting harder to use. There, the the defenses now compared to let's say the 1990s, they're more of a zone style defense. There are more help defenders around, so you're not just trying to beat one guy; you're trying to beat 
multiple guys and that second defender, that third defender can get up and, you know, block the shot. But I think, you know, another good distinction to make, though, is that that's what's going to happen in half court offense. And, uh, you know, I've seen Prince do this move a lot of times in transition. And from that point of view, I think it's actually a pretty good move. And, you know, that maybe even more guys could bring this retro move back as something to do in transition. You know, there are things that happen in transition that are routine now that you never would have seen 20 years ago, like the Eurostep. Um, but transition defense has gotten so good that I think a, a tool like the double clutch, where it's a one-on-one thing, could actually be kind of helpful when there's just one defender around. Right, especially for, for someone like him where the, the primary things that probably will determine whether whether he graduates from Hawks University and, and becomes <laughs> another 3-and-D guy is whether he can make his freeze and uh, whether he can catch the ball and go all in one motion to finish at the rim. All right. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug or advertise, upcoming podcasts or articles or anything like that? Well, uh, as, as, as far as uh, uh, the today's NBA, I, I'm actually I'm trying to get my degree at the university, so, so I've shut down my writing for, for, for the last month or so, but... Uh, yeah, other than that, we we already mentioned the podcast. Um, find find me at Lamar Matic on Twitter. To it's it's probably the easiest way to to track that down and to to hear guests like um yeah I don't know first European player in the NBA Peter Goodmanson um all kinds of such neat conversations and um, yeah there's also there's also a YouTube channel which is also titled Lamar Matic on which you can find highlights from from the 70s the 80s the 90s um. Certain guys we talked about today even have highlights there. Like, if if you want to see George McGinnis in action, I, I hope that the material like that can can be useful for basketball fans. Yeah, and that's like an evergreen podcast. You know, you interview somebody who was a star in the 1970s, and that podcast is going to be as interesting now as it was when you first recorded it. So go into dig into uh, Rainus's archives and find some of these episodes. There are some some great ones on there. Yeah, well, def- definitely. Uh, thanks for the plug, Kevin. It was it was great to talk to you about the hall and and share some some of my own thoughts about ba- basketball history. I had a great time. All right, go to bed. It's late there. <laughs> yeah, I will do so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, man. All right. Bye bye. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group rates integrity service. 